Hi, Bread Wine Movies listeners. This is Joshua. This episode is going to feel a little different. I just want to say right here at the top that we will be discussing George Floyd oppression and police brutality. We were planning to discuss Spike Jones's Do the Right Thing, but frankly, neither one of us was able to finish the film. It felt too raw, too close to reality right now. This episode was recorded just a week after the deplorable murder of George Floyd in broad daylight by the Minneapolis PD. Joey and I both live in St. Paul, which, if you don't know your Minnesota geography, borders Minneapolis. I personally live less than five miles away from where the murder takes place. The Twin Cities saw a week of passionate protest, and that passion has been spreading across the country and the world. We felt we wanted to say something in support of Black Lives Matter and our BIPOC, that is to say Black Indigenous People of Color, community members, but we weren't sure what to say. After watching about half of Do the Right Thing, we both decided we were the wrong voices to be heard discussing that movie at this time. So, what follows is the two of us trying to engage black cinema while also understanding we have undeniable privilege and participate, sometimes unknowingly, in a system that oppresses people of color. We don't intend this episode to sound like virtue signaling, but I can't promise it won't come off that way just by default. You won't hear any advertisements on this episode, you won't hear much levity, and you will hear many of our ums and ahs, as this episode is not edited very tightly. It's very raw, and I felt that it was best to leave it that way. We both feel deep sympathy for our friends and neighbors of color, and we do our best to process that out loud. So why would anyone want to listen to this podcast? That's a great question. Maybe you don't. Maybe nobody ever does. And that's okay. Our voices are not the voices needed at this time. Seek out BIPOC voices in the news, in books, at the movies, and in your neighborhood. Donate to black nonprofits. Shop at black-owned stores. Eat at black-owned restaurants. And when you've done all that, maybe come on back to this podcast. Hopefully, together, we can find a new piece of black cinema that you can love. I'm going to add as many resources as I can fit into the show notes. Look at the links, read the books, watch the films. Love your neighbor, and if you're white, recognize your privilege. Black Lives Matter. Thank you. Evening, Joy. I see you brought scotch as well. I did, Joshua. It has been a week for the drinking of the scotch. I think I think that's fair. I think it's been a year for the drinking. Like every time, you know, remember remember how there was a, a plague like last week? Yep. And then the, uh, the bigger, longer running plague uh, struck again that people have known about and nobody's been dealing with Donald Trump. Uh, 
Well, I was talking about racism, but Donald Trump will do because it's essentially the same thing. Yeah, I mean, Donald Trump has only been around for so long. Racism's been around, well, probably for a very long time. I mean, Jesus was talking about Samaritans, right? But, uh, you know, as far as America is concerned, we got about 400 years worth of uh, racism. It's true. It's true. Well, let's let's uh, let's talk about let's let's do our un-Eucharist first. Sure. And then, and then we can we sure can talk about uh, what it's like to live in Minneapolis right now. So, um, those of you who have been listening know that Joshua and I tend to take Eucharist at this time, uh, which is the bread wine part of bread wine movies. Um, it helps us link uh, the idea of sacrament to the idea of engaging with film believing that both the sacrament of Eucharist and the sacrament of film can nourish us spiritually. Um, However, on Good Friday in the Christian tradition, uh, people abstain from taking Eucharist because Jesus has died but hasn't risen yet. Um, So uh, we are a week, a little over a week out from the um, heinous murder of George Floyd. Uh, if if uh, George Floyd's loved ones, family members are listening, I doubt you are. But if you are, um, we are with you in solidarity, and uh, we're going to stand by you moving forward. Um, and I'm I'm really fucking sorry. Uh, I believe uh, so. Joshua said. Um, quite brilliantly can you repeat what you said about the passage from scripture <clears throat> yeah that i that i didn't bother to look up the address for if if you could do that for me yeah I, person with a seminary degree and okay, i sure. will discuss it <laughs> i'll do that um, uh, but there is a uh, time that paul is talking about the taking of the eucharist and he talks about how if you are not reconciled to your brother you shouldn't take it and uh it is our position here at Breadwine Movies as two white dudes with a fair amount of privilege uh, that no matter how hard we try, we're simply not reconciled to our black and brown brothers uh, because we participate in a system that is systematically uh, hurting, harming them. And so uh, in solidarity with uh, the broken body of George Floyd and in solidarity uh, with the acknowledgement that we are not fully reconciled uh, despite actively attempting to be anti-racist, we are going to abstain from the Eucharist this episode. Yeah, so this is... um... First Corinthians chapter six, verse one. And then um, it is a, a reflection or a commentary on uh, the moment in Matthew where Jesus says, if you have a grievance against your brother, don't bring your gift to the altar. Instead, leave your gift and go up, uh, make up with your brother and then return. So um, in my other podcast, I've talked a little bit about this too. But the whole whiteness thing, uh, I was just texting with my dad earlier, 
And my dad raised us in a actively anti-racist home, um, which I'm super grateful for because we grew up in a very racist area. Um, but my dad, I told my dad how angry I was feeling. I had gone through all kinds of feelings. Um, and my dad said, yeah, he said, I hate feeling powerless. He said, I just want to help. And he's, and my dad said, I wish my dad is the boomer generation. And so I, this gave me hope. My dad said, I wish that white people would just shut up and listen and follow the, the lead of the black community. So, um, Today, this is an example of Joshua and I following the lead of the BIPOC community, the uh, Black, um, Indigenous, People of Color community. We are uh, a couple of white guys who have uh, friends who are friends of color. And um, I just want to start by saying, even though we're not doing Eucharist, I'm sorry. Uh, I want to apologize because I'm aware as a white guy that I have benefited greatly from my whiteness in such a way that it has brought harm to the community of color. And so I confess that to you, listeners, and I am going to extend my apology to the community of color and say I'm sorry for the times in which I have engaged knowingly or unknowingly in racism. Uh, I ask your forgiveness and for your grace and mercy so that I can move forward and make changes. Um, I'm actively engaged in being as anti-racist as possible, which means laying down my whiteness. So even though I can't stop being a white guy, I can lay down the things in my life that do service to my whiteness. Even if that means losing my job and going to jail, I'm willing to do those things. Yeah, it's it's hard to know exactly what to do uh, as, as, as white people. And I speak for myself, I suppose, mostly, but having only relatively recently learned the difference between being not racist and being anti-racist and learning that if you're not actively helping, you're actively hurting and that silence is violence. It's, it's a lot to carry. And the thing that's important. So we, Joey and I both live, uh, I'm in St. Paul proper and Joey's just outside of St. Paul. And we didn't see uh, a lot of rioting on this end of town. Um, it, it happened in uh, uh, Midway, which is a neighborhood in St. Paul. It's a little, little ways away from me. Even living outside the, the area of the riots, uh, we still felt at least a modicum of fear. Like, you know, do we need to leave? Do we need, uh, do we need to go far away? Do we need to leave our houses? Uh, do we need to stay up all night sitting on the porch and watching, you know, all these kind of things. And what that as white, as white dudes, that feeling. And if you are in any of the cities where there was rioting and you're white and you felt any kind of fear or trepidation, I want you to remember that fear the best you can, because I have friends who feel that every day that their husbands go to work every day. Yeah. And every day, uh, every time they're pulled over, anytime they're walking down the street, you know, bird watching, jogging, apparently are illegal activities now. 
And that's part of our privilege is that we don't wake up every morning terrified. Yep. That we'll get hurt for no reason. And for, you know, six days in this last week, we got like a tiny little taste of that when, in fact, we weren't actually in any danger at all unless we happened to sleep in a Wells Fargo. Yep. So, yeah, uh, I want to make it pretty clear <laughs> that uh, the two of us on this podcast are uh, pro the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, yes. And if you want to complain about property damage done during the riots and you don't, and you haven't said about George, um, you know, either change your mind or probably find a different podcast. Yes, absolutely. Uh, yeah. We, there are some things I hold a lot of middle ground on that I'm willing to work with people on, you know, uh, lots of theological things that we can debate back and forth. Uh, this is not one of them. Uh, you can't, you can't use scripture. You can't use sense. You can't use theology to justify the way that we treat uh, people of color in this country. Period. And if you right. disagree with that, uh, read some books, or, or I don't know what to tell you. You know, there's the the, the information's out there. Uh, if you want to see it and yeah, that's our stance. I don't know how to make that any clearer. So yeah, the, the last week has felt like, I don't know, a year, like the last week has been so intense that I forgot that we were also in the middle of a pandemic. So uh, I watched in, in preparation for today, I rewatched Do the Right Thing. Uh, I think you watched that too. Is that right? Yeah, I, I watched most of it. Yeah. It's... It was a little bit too on the nose. Um, I mean, I've seen it before. Um, as a white guy, you know, oh, you know, you can't handle watching people of color getting shot, huh? Because that must be hard for you as a white guy. Um, so I can hear that argument. Um, but, uh, I will say that I'm also an empath, uh, who has a really dear friend. Lawrence is a, um, man of color who is a chaplain in the twin cities and his, his work is happening. His church and his home are right in the middle of the action. And, you know, I just keep thinking about him and I've talked to him to check in with him and to listen to him and see what he thinks we should do as white guys. Um, he's awesome. He's an amazing guy. Lawrence, if you're listening, we love you. We're so grateful for the work that you're doing. Um, but as I was thinking about Lawrence and my other friends in the community of color, my other BIPOC friends, and then watching this, I... I was just heartbroken. I, I Spike Lee. And the thing that was the most heartbreaking to me is that filmmakers and artists like Spike Lee and John Singleton and the, and the Hughes brothers have been making art that is calling this 
white aggression and this this white supremacy at the heart of America out forever. And no one listens because Hollywood has white ears. The, the thing I I don't even know what to what to do with this information. If it's if it's irony, if it's like on purpose, I don't know. But do the right thing, lost best picture to driving Miss Daisy. I want everybody to think about that. And then, like what, 30 years later, Spike Lee would lose Best Picture again with Black Klansman to Green Book, which is the same movie as Driving Miss Daisy. Yes. Yeah. People thought, um, see, this is my thing about Hollywood, though. This is what I was saying when we made the Parasite episode. Uh, Hollywood likes to make themselves appear that they're progressive. Uh, they are not. They are not progressive um, because uh, people of color are always an afterthought. So whenever they make a movie like 12 Years a Slave or Parasite or Driving Miss Daisy, best picture, they pat themselves on the back. Uh, Driving Miss Daisy, when seen in the right light, is a movie that makes white people look good and feel better about themselves. Same thing about Green Book. Driving Miss Daisy is a little bit better, is a little bit of a better film. Green Book is a piece of shit. Um, Mahershala Ali, though, is a very. I love fine Mahershala actor. Ali. I love Mahershala. Please come on the show, Mahershala. We 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 love you. <laughs> I wouldn't even know. I'd be like, uh, hi, hi. I bet he'd do it too. I bet he'd do it. He's just like such a cool guy. Have you seen the um, the preview? He's going to be on uh, Remy. Yes, I know. I love Rami, and I Rami I saw the first season. And I can't wait. I can't wait. He is just, oh man, one of the, I think he's the first Muslim to win best, best, uh, uh, an Oscar um, for acting. So he won for best supporting actor for Moonlight. And then he won best supporting actor for Green Book. And the guy, it's just, there's no way around it. The guy's amazing. Um, He was amazing in House of Cards. He was amazing in, um, Luke Cage as the villain. Mm-hmm. Um, he was even amazing in Alita Battle Angel. Um, you know, the guy, even if the movie is shit, whatever he touches, like there's a path of gold under his feet. Well, I mean, like Green Book. Right. Precisely. I mean, literally, you know, that, that, that movie, Green Book, honestly, I even think you could have made a good movie out of Green Book if the entire movie was like them driving from one place to another and having a conversation. Cause those two actors interacting was the only thing that got me through that movie. Yeah. And, and honestly, Viggo Mortensen is a great actor too. So if you, if you had written that as like a play, like if you gave it to a talented playwright and you just, the entire thing was them having a conversation in the car about the things that the movie's about on the way to a Southern city you could have made a really interesting piece, but instead you made like this, you know, it's, it's the both, it's the both sides thing. And I'm so sick of the both sides thing when it comes to this issue. Yes. And this event proved this, uh, well, every, every racist 
cop. No, I shouldn't even have to say racist cop because it's the same thing. Every cop shooting of a person of color um, uh, has been pointing to this. Uh, it's like, well, no, there were very fine people on both sides. Well, no, there weren't. And I think that this, the uh, civility, there is no more civility. Um, it's It's been broken down now. Because uh, Martin Luther King Jr., the great reverend doctor, warned us in the letter from Birmingham jail about the white moderate. We talked about this in the Black Klansman episode. Yes, and the person that's going to end up come, rising from the ashes again to be the, 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 to be the devil in the details is going to be the f***ing white moderate. That's going to be the thing that keeps more George Floyds and more Trayvon Martins and more Sandra Blands and more Philando Castiles getting shot and executed by Derek Chauvin's. I, honestly. And so like, and I was raised around white moderates and I went to seminary with white moderates and super conservative area I grew up in around a lot of white racists and obvious blatant racism, even though people are like, well, I'm not racist, but that guy's black and that annoys me. Um, and then I went to seminary around a bunch of progressives. But as soon as and I and I'm just going to say this. And if you're if you went to seminary with me and you're listening to this and you find this offensive, f you, I'm sorry. Um, as soon as they founded a school for black theology at this very white Lutheran seminary in Philadelphia. Do you know what they called the school? I'm not sure I want to know. The Urban Theological Institute. <clears throat> That's not funny. Yeah, I and it's just ridiculous. And I mean, even after all the stuff in the media on like Ke uh, Kenya Barris's show Blackish about picking on the use of the word urban to describe, we're on the boondocks. You know, it's like it's just so obviously like a, a white move. Um, and as soon as a bunch of uh, the, the only American Baptist seminary in the Philly area closed, we had a bunch of people of color who came to our campus and became students. And they were in our and we were all in classes together and it changed the face of the seminary. And the white outrage around the black culture. Was despicable. Um, they're trying to change our theology and they. They said, well, it's not a racist thing. It's just a theology thing. Fix. Fix your theology. I mean. Yes. Yes. Thank you. Like, how do you, how do you get upset? And I'm looking from the, you know, I'm from the inside out here. So, like, I'm like, how, how does somebody come to you and explain liberation theology? And then you go, I don't think Jesus was like that. Yeah, I know. Actually, as the, as the, uh more eloquent expert run us what's the give me give me liberation theology in a nutshell okay liberation theology is um a theology that is instituted primarily by people of color just like the best theologies have been for example um christianity yeah jesus um yeah, yeah. um <laughs> uh and uh, liberation theology, the, the big names in liber liberation theology would be Father Gustavo Gutierrez, um, uh, Oscar Romero, um, John Sobrino, 
uh, what's his name? Um, oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm forgetting his name. Um, Cone. What? Cone. James yes, Cone. yes, James Cone, yes. Um, and there's just so many, so there's black liberation theology, there's womanist liberation theology, there's feminist liberation theology, which includes Yvonne Jabara, and then you've got like the, the, the foundation. And so the, the, the very brief, so the foundation is essentially this. Gustavo Gutierrez comes up with this idea called preferential option for the poor. The, and the idea, he didn't come up with it, but he draws it from Christian tradition and from scripture. Preferential option for the poor is essentially the idea that God is always on the side of those in poverty, not just in financial poverty, but in social poverty, in economic poverty, in racial poverty. Anybody who's experiencing the lack or some kind of lack in general, uh, that God is found in those spaces. And that's what the, <clears throat> the story of Jesus uh, shows people. <clears throat> Excuse me. So uh, preferential option for the poor is essentially the idea that if you're lacking and if you're on the margins and God is with you. And so when we try to um, find God outside of the margins, we're basically um, making it a theology of glory, which is no theology at all. But uh, Jesus is on the throne, Joey, and he's the grand emperor of all things. He sure is. Uh, according to Christians, yes. Um, Ooh, snap. I see what you did there. Yeah. Let me let, yeah. me, let me, let me, let me say something about that, though. So, I know I'm talking to the choir here, but not everybody listening is going to know this. Go for All it. those pictures you see of white Jesus sitting on the throne, that shit didn't show up until after Constantine was like, you know what? Instead of you guys being this fringe thing, why don't you come and have a little bit of power and you can spread your word everywhere? And all of a sudden, Jesus became, empire. Yeah. And all of a sudden, Jesus became an emperor. Uh, but before that, you know, obviously we still had writings about Jesus on the throne. So then what are we to think? Well, it turns out that true leadership is leading with the people. True leadership is allowing the people you love to kill you to prove to them that they can't kill you. <laughs> yes. Um, there is actually... Um, G, uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, I learned this thing when I took the Bonhoeffer seminar um, in, in, in seminary. So I'm a, I'm a big fan of the podcast uh, Homebrew Christianity, Trip Fuller. Um, by the time this is out, which will be pretty soon from the time we're recording it, there is still actively a pay-what-you-can Bonhoeffer class being taught by Jeffrey Pugh available on their website. And it is literally pay what you can anywhere from zero to infinite dollars. You um, should take it. It is fabulous. I just did the first session today and it went, it was talking about discipleship or cost of discipleship, depending on your translation and how uh, generally an evangelical Christian reads that and reads one thing. Uh, but when you know the circumstances surrounding Dietrich Bonhoeffer's life, you can read it a completely different way. Yep, it's true. Anyway, um, you were saying something about one of my yeah, favorite Bonhoeffer. people. So, so Bonhoeffer, um, 
is uh, commissions or not, not he has a friend who is uh, I can't even remember his name, but he was a mentor of Bonhoeffer's and he was a dedicated German Lutheran Christian. Bonhoeffer really looked up to him when Hitler rose to power and wanted to start the Reich church. Bonhoeffer's friend helped start the Reich church. So one of Bonhoeffer's closest friends and mentors uh, joins Hitler and helps start this church, the Reich Church. Just think about that for a minute. Um, this is the church where we um, order our uh, our uh, law enforcement to tear gas protesters and priests so that we can have a photo op walking across the goddamn street to the church to hold up a Bible upside down for a photo op. Anyway, um, <laughs> so <laughs> you switched to talking about the president, and I just have to say that that picture. He holds a Bible like he's never seen a book in his life. Like he's like, like, what is, what is this? I don't know what this is. I don't yeah. know why I'm holding it. What is this rectangular prism? You wouldn't know rectangular. Yeah. What is this square thing I'm holding? Right. Uh, and that's, that's, I'm really excited what you're going to say, but I want to jump in and say that that's happening like Bonhoeffer splitting with his mentor, whose name I also can't remember, even though I read the book like last week. I know. Uh, he splits with his mentor because his mentor starts the Reich Church. And what's really important is that Hitler wasn't like systematically killing people yet. Yes, yes, thank you. This was, Hitler was in power. Hitler was just, was saying this stuff. And, and there were people in Germany saying, like, you know what? Like, yeah, he says some crazy, <laughs> but you know, like he's, he's, the economy is so good <laughs> and we're going to get Germany to be great again. Yeah. And I was talking to some friends who were like, and I asked them, like, do you think we're at the point where Bonhoeffer was at and, and where like, you know, Trump has basically crossed. I mean, I believe personally that Trump has crossed, crossed the line long ago but i mean if you look at his track record including a bunch of innocent children dying at the border without their parents okay this is what uh nazis do right so i asked this person like do you think not until trump starts doing very active not until he starts actively uh doing the things that hitler did i'm like well where did well what like when does it start like when are you upset enough you know, children are dying at the border and you're not upset enough about it. Like, I don't know. Anyways, so I get I get upset about that. But the point I was trying to make earlier, Bonhoeffer's mentor. So everybody's grandma who was a Christian has a picture of Jesus hanging on their wall. And it's the white Jesus with the fair skin, the fair hair and the blue eyes. He's really handsome. He clearly went to the salon that day. Very handsome. This is not Jesus, obviously. But this is the Jesus that I grew up around. Um, this is the image of Jesus, the, the white, handsome, smiley Jesus. And uh, Bonhoeffer's mentor commissioned that painting under the order of Hitler. So when you hang that on your wall, I don't care how old you are. I don't care if you're the greatest generation. If you've got that shit on your wall, you have Nazi shit on your wall. Okay? Just throwing that out there. 
And now that we have lost all our listeners, I'd like to say that. Uh, <laughs> just kidding. Uh, yeah, what Joey said. I, I, the reason I made a joke is because I don't know what to say to that. Because yeah, how do you follow it's true, that? Though. Uh, you know, and honestly, like I've had to basically say this. I know that over that. Uh, so I was talking to to uh, a leader in the the community of color yesterday. And she was saying that you're going to lose friends over this if you start telling the truth, Joey. And uh, the reality is I am in asshole mode and I am unapologetically in asshole mode right now. So I just want to warn listeners that I am going to be a dick to you um, because uh, if I'm not more George Floyd's and Trayvon Martin's and Michael Brown's and Sandra Bland's are going to die. So. Uh, we've tried being nice. We've tried dialogue because that's what white people are really good at is let's talk it out, talking it out. I, I, I can't, we can't talk it out anymore because people are dying. We, we had the opportunity. We've had so many opportunities and that's, I got into this on Facebook with somebody cause you know, I, yeah, well you left Facebook and it's for the same, it's, it's for reasons. And yeah. uh, I got into it and I was just like, He's like, well, you know, I think it's, I think if everybody could just calm down on both sides, we could talk about it. I'm like, bro, you all were freaking out when Kaepernick was taking a knee during the stupid anthem, which by the way, we have easily the worst national anthem of all time, but ever, um, ever, you, you are all freaking out when Kaepernick was taking a knee, like the most peaceful thing a human being can do. You all flipped. So what do you want? Like, what did you expect? Yeah. Yeah, I know. The national anthem is bad art. I just want to start there. Like uh, all patriotic music is music. Um, <laughs> really hard to so, sing, and it's about a war. Like I'm not in. Yeah, or like the battle hymn of the republic. Like, what are we? Are, are we imperial stormtroopers? Like, I'm just waiting for them to come out and like do the dance from Family Guy Blue Harvest, where they're doing um, "I Had the Time of My Life" um, from Dirty <laughs> Dancing. Um, so uh, anyways, um, I want to talk about uh, some black movies, um, but first I want to I want to plug something. Black on Black Cinema is the best, one of the best movie podcasts, period. But it is people of color talking about movies made by, for, and with, and about people of color. And uh, listening to them talk about the movie Black Panther made me like cry because it like what you hear them saying is like this i don't care what critics are saying about this movie whether they love it or hate it this is our movie and uh they deserve the movie and you know what you know what i hate i hate that when i'm scrolling through hulu there's a there's like oh well here's the black movies and here's all the rest of the entertainment this is literally how we divide everything I want my mind and my heart to be changed so that I don't see black as other. Uh, I, I want it to just be a part of the experience um, of, of living. Um, it's like the great, who are the great filmmakers? Oh, Stanley Kubrick, uh, Wes Anderson, Francis Ford Coppola, George Lucas. Uh, hold on. What about people of color and women? Not to mention LGBTQ plus make uh, filmmakers. Um, Barry Jenkins is 
easily one of the greatest American filmmakers who has walked the planet. So if you okay. haven't seen Moonlight. White what? people, white people listening to this right now, just go to whatever it is, however you watch movies and type in Barry Jenkins and watch anything that he made. Yes. Anything. And Even his student film, if you've got the Criterion channel, it's on there. It's watch so it. good. If if you get a chance to walk, if watch uh, Moonlight, which obviously we remember the whole Oscar screw up, which, by the way, that's just like the perfect screw up. It's the perfect screw up for Hollywood to make. It's like, let's uh, make the let's give the accidentally give the Oscar, have the white people screw up and accidentally give the Oscar to the most white movie being nominated this year. La La Land. Oh, and then we'll have somebody come up and say, no, sorry, it was Moonlight the whole time. Uh, no, it was Moonlight the whole time. The movie where the white dude mansplains jazz to the white lady. Yes. <laughs> um, also, uh, If Beale Street Could Talk was my favorite movie of that year. Oh, my gosh. Um, it, 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 it was a narrow race between that and Roma by Alfonso Cuaron. Both films are beautiful. May, uh, both, Please see both. But If Beale Street Could Talk has my heart. Roma has my intellect. It has my, my, my fierce support. If Beale Street Could Talk has my heart. That, it, it, Barry Jenkins is not just on par with Stanley Kubrick. He might be better. And that is coming from the biggest Kubrick fan I know. Um, who are you and what have you done with Joey? I know. Um, but I, you know, Barry Jenkins is great. Um, Ava DuVernay is great. Um, but are these names that, you know, listeners, cause I mean, I'm, and I'm not judging you because I have, have was raised in a home where black films and black filmmakers were just not the norm. And even um, being raised in an anti-racist home, like it's still uh, like, okay. The example I use with, with my white friends, when, when they'll tell me something like, you know, history hasn't been whitewashed or Hollywood, you know, isn't that whitewashed. I ask them about the Tulsa race riots. Yes. How many people learned about the Tulsa race riots in school? I, I, can, I consider myself a pretty learned dude. I do a lot of reading um, about lots of different things. I really love history. And I literally had never heard of them until I watched uh, the Watchmen TV series on HBO. And I was like, yeah. oh, is this something invented for this show? No, it f***ing happened. That's where I heard about it, too. And I can't believe, like, 300... They went into a black neighborhood and killed 300 people and burned it to the ground. And we don't, nobody teaches it. We right. hear all about the Watts riots. You know, we yeah. hear about Selma where right. black people were rioting, but 33 years old. And until, you know, early this year, I hadn't heard about this event. If you don't know what we're talking about, Google it immediately. Like turn this off and Google it. And you're going to, you're going to weep and you're going to realize that white people have a lot of power when it comes to what we hear and see everywhere. Um, so that whole thing, I mean, I, first of all, I can't wait. 
Panthers and the valiant white president quelled these violent black folks who were trying to burn down people's buildings. No, it, it's literally ignoring most of the history. Um, also, uh, the reason that we didn't learn about that is the same reason why when in Michigan, yeah, so why is it that a bunch of white armed men can go to Michigan and protest at the governor's mansions about the quarantines and not get any retribution? But as soon as people of color start protesting in Minneapolis, it's considered a threat. And suddenly there's a National Guard and a curfew. Gas and rubber bullets. Yeah, and paint cans. What? Like firing paint cans at people standing on their porch, just watching. Um, I grew up, or I didn't grow up, so I, I used to live in Philadelphia. Philadelphia is considered a super violent city. Um, I've never, in the, the four years that I lived there, I've lived in Minneapolis, in the Minnesota Twin Cities area, about six years, five years. Um, I never experienced this level of blatant state-sanctioned racism as I am experiencing now. Um, and I just have to say, we were talking about Watchmen. Regina King is one of my very favorite human beings. Uh, I first was introduced to her when I saw Ray starring Jamie Foxx. She was a supporting character, and she caught my attention. But then I began to see her in more things. She won Best Supporting Actress for If Beale Street Could Talk. She is awesome. And she is the lead in the new Watchmen HBO series. She's awesome in that. And she plays the voice of the little twin boys, Huey and Riley, in Aaron Magruder's The Boondock Saint. Or not The Boondock Saints, The Boondocks. Not The Boondock Saint. Please... Yeah, I'm sorry. I, I, that is a crime. If if you I, haven't I, seen the Boondock Saints, continue on your way. You are on the correct path. If you yeah. have seen it, uh, I recommend some kind of Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind situation. That was one of those movies that everybody yeah. was like, "This movie's amazing," and I watched it. I was like, "What the hell are you guys talking about?" Yeah, it, it's not amazing. Also, um, I mean. I love Billy, uh, what's his name? Costigan? No. The guy that's, the guy, Billy. Connolly. Um, Connolly, yes, I love him. Uh, but other than that, it's a, it's a well, mess. Willem Dafoe, right? uh, but it's just a dumb, anyway, that's, yes. Yeah. Uh, but The Boondocks is a great series uh, that just calls out white bull. That's on uh, HBO Max now, isn't it? Yes, it is. I've been watching it every day. Yeah. So um, I would say Black Panther for sure, just because it's uh, it's it's amazing. Um, but definitely do the right thing in Black Klansman. Um, definitely uh, Us and Get Out by Jordan Peele. Uh, definitely Boys in the Hood. John Singleton. Um, like yes, John Singleton. Boys in amazing. the Hood. Boy. I watched that movie when I was much younger and was really uncomfortable. And I thought I was uncomfortable because, you know, 
well, these these people sure are acting stupid and why do they do the things they do? And then as a much older man, I watched it again and realized I'm uncomfortable because I helped create the system that leads to this violence. Yes, yep. And it's so true. It's so true. Uh, Moonlight and If Beale Street Could Talk for sure. Um, avoid driving Miss Daisy and Green Book. You don't need to see those. It's just white people making themselves feel better. RogerEbert.com is featuring an article right now on uh, Malcolm X, which uh, by Spike Lee, which I haven't seen it yet. And uh, but I am reading a lot about Malcolm X lately because I've read a ton about the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. I have not read much about Malcolm X, and I'm finding his approach very convincing. So. Um, not that he's there to convince me. Malcolm X wouldn't have been a fan of me, probably. Um, but uh, Denzel Washington plays him. Um, and it, this article is called Malcolm X, Spike Lee's Timeless Sermon. And so, of course, being a bread wine movies guy, like that really piques my interest. Um, but the article is written by Omer Mosafar. Uh, Omer Mosafar is uh, teaches at Loyola University in Chicago. He teaches courses in theology and literature. He is also the Muslim chaplain there. And he's a man of color. He's given thousands of talks on Islam since 9-11. He is also a Hollywood technical consultant for productions on matters related to Islam, Arabs, and South Asians. So this guy's awesome. If he says, see Malcolm X and calls it Spike Lee's timeless sermon, then please see it. I'm a big fan of Omer. Um, but yeah, so that's, um, I, I will be completely honest since I wasn't raised around and I took, didn't take many classes that involve black film. I feel like I've been robbed most of my life. And so I'm currently trying to play catch up. So I'm watching as much black cinema as I can. Um, and I am grateful because it is amazing and, and so good. I just, I haven't seen anything yet that I'm like, Oh, that's crap. Um, you should, uh, I think Netflix has Fruitvale station. Ryan Coogler. Oh yeah. Fruitvale station. Ryan Coogler. So good. Um, I also, To Sleep With Anger, which I think is on Criterion right now, uh, that has uh, Danny Glover. So always, oh, cool. I, and I don't want to like, like ruin any of these films for you. I just want you to go into them. Um, I don't know if it's available anymore. Well, I don't know if it's available to stream, I should say. Gosh, 2020 is weird. Uh, but uh, When the Levees Broke, the Spike Lee documentary about Katrina. Yes. It'll like, that'll blow your mind. Uh, and while we're on the subject, if you have HBO max, um, please try to watch Treme again. I think lots of white people went into it like, Oh, we're going to get more of the wire. And we, it's not the wire. It's amazing though. I love Treme. But you need to watch it. Um, yeah. even check out some black exploitation flicks. Uh, you know, don't yes. necessarily listen to Quentin Tarantino, but uh, like check out Shaft. Um, uh, Foxy Brown, Foxy Brown, <laughs> yeah. Uh, Shaft, uh, 
across 110th street, uh, which has a great theme song as well. Um, you know, Car wash. Superfly, like these are all things worth checking out. Uh, we talked about boys in the hood. Um, 25th hour is another good one to check out, even though it's not about a white guy or it's not about a black guy. It's about a white guy. It's still Spike Lee discussing New York. Uh, yeah, with Edward Norton and Philip Seymour Hoffman. I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah, hard to go wrong. Uh, anything Steve McQueen has done, even even Widows, which was I think a movie he made for money, uh, still like. But I hear it's. Yeah, I mean it's, it's still a great, it's still a fun movie at at minimum with some extra stuff thrown in. Um, Twelve Years a Slave by Steve McQueen and also Hunger by Steve McQueen which uh, Hunger is not the film you fire up like, hey, honey, what do you want to watch? Let's watch. Yeah, definitely not. Let's watch Hunger. But uh, it's definitely something you need to, you need to like carve out a, uh, a week to like mull over it. <laughs> like, Don't plan to do anything else for the rest of the day that you watch that film. If Viola Davis or Regina King are in something, mm-hmm. see it. Uh, with few um, exceptions, Michael B. Jordan is in a thing. See it? Yes. Um, man, and I i think one thing that, you know, I'm revealing at least in this conversation is how much I don't know about black cinema. And that's partly why we're recording this episode is so that you listeners can know that we are not the experts. Um, if you are someone who has suggestions let us know um because i don't feel like my i'm a i call myself a cinephile but i'm not a true cinephile if it doesn't include films made by people of color and so i'm i'm trying to up that um yeah and and i'm the same you know i uh i'm able to rattle some of these off because i did research before we started recording um well, not research, so, you know, I sat down and thought, okay, what do I got? What have I seen? Um, but yeah, I, I can definitely do better. We can all do better. And, you know, one of the steps I believe I've got, I recommended uh, how to be an anti-racist to you. Yes. Um, it's a great book. I'm loving it. Um, and part of it is uh, experiencing the culture and, you know, getting outside your comfort zone. Uh, and if you want to get outside your comfort zone, uh, and you're a white person. Get on to Netflix. When you when this ends, turn on Netflix. Open up the and start the documentary called Thirteenth. And yes, where you yeah. find out that slavery is alive and well right here, right now. And maybe the next time. And that's the move. And that the the Reagan's war on drugs is code for war on black and brown skinned people. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, yeah. Like the the prison system is modern slavery. Um, uh, I I just got to say, like, I have reached the point, and it's I, I've been drinking while we've been talking, so I may be a little loose lipped, um, but I am so tired of the privileges that I'm afforded and the shit that I get away with that uh, my buddies can't get away with. Um, 
I asked Lawrence, I said, Lawrence, what, what, as a white guy, like, what do I need to do? And he said, pray, listen, uh, Josh, I know Joshua well, and I can tell you that when we are not on this podcast, we are actively listening right now. We are inviting you, if you're a white person, to do the same. I sat last night with Angel Kyoto Williams. She is the uh, Reverend Angel Kyoto Williams is the founder of Radical Dharma. She is a she's like if liberation theology, Black liberation theology, met uh, Buddhism. She is amazing. She's an incredible uh, Buddhist teacher and priest. Uh, Radical Dharma is brilliant. Um, and she said last night to all of us sitting in the Zoom meeting, she said, if you're a, a white person sitting here and you're not actively anti-racist, then you are racist. She said, that's not a judgment. She said, I'm not trying to call you out. She said, I'm just letting you know that that is a fact. If you are a white person and you are not actively anti-racist, then you are racist. There is no other option. And so friends, if you're white, and you are not actively anti-racist, then you are a racist by definition. And so uh, stop, stop doing that and uh, become an actively anti-racist person. And if you aren't sure what that means, that's okay, because I didn't either. Uh, you feel free to reach out to the podcast. Um, you can reach out uh, to either one of our emails. Uh, you can find me on Facebook or Twitter. And we're happy to talk. Uh, but what would be better than that would be to talk to your friends who are people of color. Now, yes, I grew up in a town where that would actually not have been possible. So I understand. Or I also understand that if you grew up in a place like that and you've moved somewhere where there are people of color and you haven't any friends in the community yet, I understand it. I understand it because I'm a white guy. That, but that's your go-to. And if you need suggestions on resources, I'm happy to point you in a direction so that you don't have to make a person of color educate you for free. Um, yeah. There's so much out there now. There's books, there's TV, there's movies. Uh, if you have access to the internet, then you have no excuse. Men are without excuse. Yes. Uh, and one, and also ask yourself, when was the last time you listened to John Coltrane, to Miles Davis, to James Brown, to Nina Simone, to Esperanza Spalding, um, uh, to uh, Kendrick Lamar, to... Janelle Nate Monet, Durf. man. That's where it's at. Oh, man. She's amazing. Prince, uh, Lizzo. These are our great artists. We have no white music. Al Green. Without... Yes. Oh, God. Um, Bill Withers. May he rest in peace. Um, that hurt. That was a bad day. Oh, I know. I love him so much. Um, ain't no sunshine when she's gone. Or when Bill Withers is gone. Uh, yes. <laughs> if you have an opportunity, if you have Spotify or you have Apple Music or you've got access to music, please... Do yourself a favor and listen to the music that made music possible. Black music is the original music of this culture. Have you ever seen The Jerk? Yes. When he discovers white music? Yes. Like that. I understand that scene 
so so well i relate oh, to yeah. that scene on many levels absolutely okay well this has been i don't know this was not our uh, a normal episode of breadwine movies but uh we both frankly are we just don't know what else to say or do we felt we needed to say something but we also felt the original plan was to watch do the right thing uh and we just felt that we weren't the right people to comment on the film right yeah so we've told you like about the movies that we enjoy and the the, uh, the stuff that we find valuable um and the stuff that we're working on but that's pretty much all we can say uh i just like joshua said like i don't feel well informed enough so i'm and honestly it's time for me to stop saying stuff about black culture because i don't know same uh yeah uh gosh i i if you've listened to this podcast at all you know that i'm not usually at a loss for words me neither <laughs> but uh yeah i just we need to listen to what black people are telling us especially right now uh and you know don't presume to know how it feels to live at the bottom of a system of oppression. And, and if the only thing you've called out in this situation is the quote unquote looters or destruction of property, you can f just f all the way off. Yes, all the way, all the way off. Because frankly, you know, Wells Fargo can deal with it. Buildings can get rebuilt. Even tar like Target released a statement supporting Black Lives Matter, sort of. I mean, as much as a corporation does. Uh, but it essentially saying like, you know, we can rebuild. Gandhi Mahal, who, you know, unless you live in Minneapolis, it doesn't mean much. Um, but the Gandhi Mahal is an excellent, excellent, excellent Indian restaurant in Minneapolis. And if you're in Minneapolis and it's not COVID time, you should eat there. Uh, but it, it started on fire during one of the protests and the owner uh, released a statement that the owner released a statement saying that uh, he'll be back. He can rebuild. Um, let it burn until justice is served. So awesome. Yeah, I'm. So I have nothing more to say. I mean, it's... Yeah, I think that that's a good note to end on. I think we should end on that phrase, let it burn until justice is served. And justice that's really the stance. That's the stance of Red Wine Movies. It is. Let it burn until justice is served. Well, I will bid you adieu, sir. <laughs>